So I think it's it's important to understand that you are kind of traversing a whole new course here, a whole new buyer persona that you need to address and really speak to them in their language there. Welcome to Build, the podcast from OpenView. I'm your host, Blake Bartlett, and the show features conversations with software founders, leaders, and investors. Each episode unpacks a new key insight on how to build your company and navigate the fast-changing world of software startups. Recently on Build, we've had a number of great conversations about taking PLG to the enterprise. It's a popular topic here on Build because it's a popular topic in PLG. It seems to me these days, every founder I talk to is asking about how to build for the enterprise and how to add a top-down motion to enable expansion into larger accounts. It's not an easy transition and there is no single right answer or silver bullet for founders. Hence why we're hitting the topic repeatedly from different angles with different guests here on Build. Some of the episodes I'm thinking about include Kyle Parrish, who built the sales team at Figma and talked about the importance of sales culture in a PLG company. We also had Jesus Rakena on the show talking about how he built the PLG data and analytics infrastructure at Unity to better understand the customer base and enable a growth strategy. And most recently, we had on Annie Pearl, Chief Product Officer at Calendly, talking about the product implications of building for the enterprise and how to manage the organizational complexity it brings to your company. So today, we're continuing the enterprise PLG conversation with John Itell who was the global vice president of sales and success at Canva. Before John, there was no formal sales effort at Canva, and he built it from the ground up with a ton of obvious success to anyone who's followed the Canva story. John walks us through everything you need to know in order to add a top-down motion to your bottom-up PLG foundation. When exactly should your company start this journey and what signals will tell you that now's the time? Why is it important to embrace and not avoid enterprise sales in the first place? What this new flavor of enterprise sales looks like from a strategy standpoint and ultimately how to put all of this into practice without breaking your current team and customer base. Today is an absolute gold mine for PLG founders and leaders, so let's dive right in with John Itell. So you recently told me that your role as a sales leader is really to be more of a sales puzzle master or a sales problem solver. So I guess what exactly does this mean and, and how have you seen this play out in your career? Yeah, that's funny uh, that you remember that. But yeah, I think that, uh, you know, it's just probably like the way that I think about, you know, kind of my role, uh, you know, leading and building new go-to-markets. I do feel like, you know, you all do a great job of highlighting this, but, you know, sales is changing. The world of, you know, buying is changing. The way that consumers consume is changing. And so I think, you know, the, you know, the successful sales leaders are the ones that understand, you know, how that evolution is happening and how to embrace it and really kind of lean into it. And so, you know, I think probably like one of my strengths uh, as a sales leader is that I've, you know, worked in different contexts, different backgrounds. Um, and so I think whenever I come into a different solution, you know, I bring lots of pattern recognition and things that have worked well for me in my past. But I'm always kind of thinking, like, what pieces do I want to borrow, you know, from from other things that I've done? What are some new things that I want to introduce? Um, and so I think that's what really kind of makes it fun is it's not a one size fits all you know, show up every day with a playbook that uh, that I know that's tried and true. It's, you know, it's always kind of having, you know, kind of a, a certain element of like experimentation and being able to, to figure out what works, you know, in, in a new and evolving context. Yeah, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. The, the one thing I wrote down as you were talking was uh, was playbooks, uh, because, you know, certainly as a VC, I see this a lot that, you know, a new sales leader comes in. Is this a, pl- a playbook person or is this somebody who really thinks about things kind of on a case by case basis? 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like you know, PLG is at the front of that. I do feel like this is kind of one of the major trends that shows this evolution. And so I do think like, you know, being able to adapt, learn. I, I listen to a ton of podcasts from my peers, even in the industry, because I think that's the the neat thing. I think a lot of us are all kind of figuring this out together. And that's what gets me you know, excited. That's probably one of the older dogs, too. I feel like that's what kind of really neat to me is that, you know, you can you know reinvent new ways to do this. Uh, you know, the solutions aren't always the ones that worked in the past year. Yeah, and that's that's a great transition into the the topic of the day, which is sales in a PLG environment, and more specifically, if you're starting as a PLG company, you're you're typically starting with the the classic bottoms up motion, the self service motion, but at some point, it's going to make sense to add a top down motion to to complement that, and this is obviously something that is a new context in the software world, uh, and, and so you can't use old playbooks, and, and so this is perfect to sort of understand how do you actually problem solve this? What does this look like uh, in practice? And you have some amazing experience from, from Canva and many other great PLG companies um, where you've done this in real life. Uh, so we're going to unpack that. Look, I think it, it varies by company, which is always a bad answer for this. So there's not like this always ironclad, like this is the immediate sign, you know, that it happens. But I would say like, so there are some, some basic things to look out for. Like I think at Rackspace and WP Engine, and at Canva, we had started to land, you know, at different times, our biggest customer, an enterprise brand. And that was when it was like, okay, it's maybe time to think about things differently, right? We started to get this bigger customer that was exhibiting some different buying behaviors. And everybody was really excited about it. And so I think it was, you know, really that that's kind of sign number one is when you start to get your first big customer and then hopefully some repeatability and in some of these bigger customers. Um, and then, you know, like we talked about this, you know, in past conversations too, like looking for different kind of stall points along the way, like what is causing you know some of these deals to to either stall out uh, or just grow to a certain size and and not uh, continue to grow? And so, kind of looking the you know at the data, I think data is kind of your best friend in, in guiding this. With Canva, we saw that you know we were getting into a lot of big enterprises, uh, but we were only landing you know team sizes of forty, fifty, maybe you know sixty employees in companies that had thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of users, right? So we were just scratching the surface. And so it was like, okay, for us, that was a stall point. It was like, okay, there's, you know, obviously interest in the enterprise, but they're only getting to this certain size. Why is that? And we knew that the opportunity was that much bigger on the other side of this. So it was like, okay, we need to unpack this and understand it. You know, WP Engine was the same. Like it was a lot of self sign up. Uh, and then we moved in kind of SMB and mid market. And then we started to land some really big names. Right. And then we quickly learned like, how they bought was different. Like they had security reviews that we had to run through, you know, run through with them. We had to, you know, go through legal negotiations. We had to do a, a number of things that just were a barrier to them getting any bigger with us, right? We could we could do a lot of little small deals with big enterprise, which to me is, you know, kind of sales hell. Uh, you know, it's like this opportunity is massive on the other side, and you just can't quite get to it. And I think that's when you start to think about how do I introduce a human element, you know, uh, through, through this top-down motion? Um, I even think about it like top-down motion, there's ways to kind of leg into it, you know, ease your way into it. Like I've talked to a, a lot of companies, you know, that are going through this transition and, you know, they can even see like early, early phase of like, we can get adoption in enterprise, but we see certain users sign up and abandon like partially through the process, right? So there's, you know, some problems with the sign-up process or they're not seeing enough value on the other side to complete it. And so, you know, they, they introduced, you know, I'd say a light touch, you know, kind of sales motion, but it was, you know, someone who could come in and really like educate, guide, coach them through the sign up process and get them to the other side to get them uh, adopting. So I think just looking for those different stall points and figuring out where they are 
and then you know when to kind of phase in the different elements and pieces is like the real kind of key and, and magic to this yeah that makes a lot of sense to me and, and i'm kind of hearing two big buckets of things that are happening in the con uh, in the context of the company that will tell you now's the time one is a little bit more intuitive and clear to me the other was a little bit more counterintuitive um, but uh, the, the clear and intuitive one is, uh, and this is classic for PLG, is that the customers pull you there. And so that's a really good signal. We got our first big deal. Uh, we had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> we pulled out all the stops. There was a bunch of diving catches and uh, Herculean efforts to get that deal across the finish line, but we got it. So I'm sure there's more of them. Um, let's build a process around it. But the, the other bucket, the, the less intuitive um, or counterintuitive to me at least, uh, example you gave is stall points. What happens if you get to a certain point and you're getting pulled to a certain point and you should get pulled further? There's a lot more uh, seats to get in this account, but we're not getting them. Yeah. Yeah. You'll find it. I do think like a lot of them, you know, look, the, the, the neat thing is, you know, how far you can get with someone pulling out a corporate card. <laughs> you know, I think that's the really neat thing in enterprise is that you can see, you know, a good amount of adoption. But I think like that's another national one, like certain, you know, th thresholds get triggered, you know, on a corporate card where you can't can no longer get along, you know, get away with kind of, you know, sliding it under the radar and kind of doing it on your own. You need to bring in procurement, other folks like that. I think that's when it needs more handholding. And, and, you know, that's just, that's just an obvious kind of easy stall point to see. Like, I always try and look at those things and think about like, how do you not overdo it? How do you come in with like a lightweight way to still kind of move through those stall points? Because um, I think the customers will value that and you'll get a ton out of it, you know, because you can minimize, you know, a lot of your, your, your sales costs here. But I mean, a good example of this is like, legal agreements like i think that when you get into enterprise it's just natural that someone's going to ask for like what's you know what is the legal agreements that we signed up under here we'd like to review them and i've seen teams overly do them you know and actually like drop the binder on someone and say okay here's this you know overly legalese contract and i've often kind of skewed towards like let's make it simple can we make it you know one page or less can we make it hugely customer empowering can we make it something that everybody in their right mind would sign up for easily and it gives us the, the right amount of protections right we want to make sure that we're not putting ourselves in jeopardy but we don't want to overcomplicate things so that they can kind of you know look at the terms go through them hopefully click through them if they can without having to do you know a legal review i mean that's that's one example of how you Hopefully, can can you know maximize these stall points and do it without a you know a heavy human element there, uh, and just make it easier for buyers to buy. So that kind of sets the stage with uh, the context of what's happening inside a company. In many ways, that's the the when of the problem. When do I start thinking about this? When do I do this? What should I be looking for in my company? So the next question for me is, well, why? <laughs> why should companies <laughs> embrace it and not avoid it? Um, you know, for for me, I certainly have often run into PLG purist founders uh, who don't want to embrace the top-down motion or perhaps think that their company uh, can be successful in the enterprise without it. Uh, and maybe we're exempt from needing to do that. That's an old school way of thinking. Um, so to me, uh, I definitely don't think it's optional. Uh, I think it's a necessity for all PLG companies at some point in their journey. But uh, I'm curious what you think. Uh, why is it so important to embrace this top-down motion and this top-down moment and, and not avoid it? Yeah. Look, I, I see this one often as well. And, and, and I get it, I guess I get both sides. And, and, and I think, you know, PLG is a beautiful thing. So I understand the purist point of view um, and, and the, you know, willingness or the want to avoid it here. Uh, and, and I think actually I would say to those founders, like, you know, maximize it for as long as you can, uh, you know, stretch that runway, you know, for as long as you can. I, but I just, I struggle to see 
you know, going all the way. And, and, I, and I've, I've even looked for use cases and examples of, of companies that have done it really well. And it, 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 it always, you know, is inevitable. It's kind of like fighting gravity, uh, you know, at certain, at certain points, uh, you know, when you get a sizable enough engagement with an enterprise, you know, the expectations of what they want you to provide is, is different, right? And so, you know, they're going to look for dedicated teams and dedicated points of contact. They want escalated support. They want, uh, you know, kind of different, different, you know, kind of models of, you know, how they get, that get treated, right? Uh, you know, I mentioned security reviews, like they'll have all these requirements and hoops that you'll need to jump through. And so making sure that you're on top of those and knowing, uh, you know, how, the, how they, you know, play, uh, you know, with that customer scenario and, and work together with that scenario. And so those, those all are going to be the, the kind of the, the natural gravity that, that comes in and you have to have, you know, those teams in place or, you know, you'll, you'll tend to have, you know, a lot of you know, small deals with large enterprises, which, you know, is a, you know, it can be a major headache, right? Cause you'll still probably get dragged into a lot of those things. Uh, you'll, you'll end up having to, to do a legal review one off. You'll have to come up with some kind of uh, support model to, to support them. Right. Uh, and so you'll, you'll, you'll either get kind of stuck in sales hell, uh, you know, doing small deals to big companies, uh, you know, where, you know, there's a lot of upside, you know, and also, obviously also probably working, you know, a lot harder because you're creating a lot of one-off scenarios and solutions, which don't scale. Uh, and so I think that's when, you know, it's important to think about like, what is the time, if, if you're serious about it, what is the time to make that shift? What is the time to make that pivot and then go all in on it? I think that's like something that really, uh, you know, I, I talked to a lot of PLG founders about is like, you know, make that decision when the time is right. And then like, don't do it half-heartedly. Like you got to go all in, you got to support it. And, you know, there's lots, lots of ways to support it, but I think that's, that's the other thing that's really kind of key is like, you know, don't avoid it. It's inevitable and it's kind of natural gravity. And then when you get there, you know, go all in on it. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of makes sense to me to look at it through the lens of, of customer success, uh, not as a discipline, but as, as a philosophy of uh, clearly everybody wants customer success. They want their customers to be successful and, um, you know, going up market and uh, enabling that motion that allows you to go up market or to expand to the full potential in a large account is really the concept of having more customers be more successful with your product. 100% agree. So if that's the, the why and we need to um, not avoid this moment and definitely embrace this moment, let's get into the, the what. Um, and I think the, the what of this topic in many ways is the strategy. How would you personally describe the strategy from the you know, 30,000 foot view level of combining bottom up and top down? What are some of the new capabilities you're going to need to develop on things you're ha- going to have to think about as a go-to-market organization? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll talk through some of like the elements of the strategy and then I, I'd like to make it real and probably just use some examples from my past. But, you know, I think that, you know, the key is, you know, when you have these entry points, right, you're really kind of getting this kind of proof of, you know, concept, I would say, the way we looked at it with a lot of the companies that I've led here. You know, we have this team that's utilizing it, right? So they become kind of this this champion for us that we're able to make successful and use as kind of business case to the business. Uh, and that's the really fun part about this is, you know, being able to take that now to decision maker in, in our you know, uh, context of Canva was the CMO, but being able to talk to them about, you know, this huge value add that we could bring to their organization, how we could make them more efficient, how we could, you know, really help their team scale in, in, in effective ways. Uh, and then really kind of draw back to this team that had kind of already signed up on their own, right? You know, using them as this, uh, you know, great positive kind of, you know, beacon of light that we, we, we can start with here, use as a kind of point of success to really help scale this to the rest of the business. And that was really, you know, a lot of times our storyline there, you know, when we would, we, when we'd go to the, to the CMO, a lot of times they hadn't even heard of us because we had kind of come in through, 
uh, you know, a user making this decision on their own, maybe scaling it to their immediate team. And we wanted to play for, you know, bigger stakes than that and, and really go for that, you know, kind of end-to-end wall-to-wall deployment. You know, being able to, to, to come in and, and really kind of drive home all those key elements, I think, was the, was the big thing for us. Um, you know, also being able to show the, the usage and adoption is, you know, a, a positive in that, you know, I think oftentimes, you know, the, the, the wall of resistance you hit is, you know, it's going to be really hard for us to adopt a new tool. We've already got tool exhaustion. We just implemented X, Y, Z. And so to be able to say that it's already happening, it's already happening with some virality and teams have already kind of selected, uh, you know, this tool and they're getting so much value out of it already. You can, you can go talk to them firsthand. You know, I think that really you know, helped us kind of speed the path up and, and really, you know, in the end also kind of shortened the, the sales cycles going from virtually unheard of, you know, in the CMO's mind uh, to them not even knowing they had this problem to, to, to quickly getting them, you know, alive and alert to this big problem and then the solution that we can kind of help drive with them there. Now, I mean, I think, and it, and it does take some transitioning. I think, you know, the immediate use case, you often think about how you're going to make that team's, you know, life better, you know, easier, their job is becomes more 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 you know easy to t- accomplish and it makes them more successful in that role and then when you move to the cmo and you know further up the, the chain look it is it is about that broader impact it's about making you know the larger organization more efficient and so you have to be able to switch gears and understand that and i think that's that's also a common mistake i see is some people think like what worked for the initial team to get on the platform you know is going to resonate you know uh, and oftentimes that falls flat. And so I think it's, it's important to understand that you are kind of traversing a whole new course here, a whole new buyer persona that you need to address and really speak to them in their language there. Yeah. And, and maybe unpacking, um, you know, this language that they speak and the concept of business value a little bit more, you know, oftentimes when you have the initial adoption from end users, uh, using a PLG product, they might not think about it in, in ROI terms. They might think about it in terms of this this is just a better product. I like this product. Um, you know, personal preference is to use this product. Um, I can't imagine my life without this product. Um, and that's all really good stuff, but that's kind of, you know, personal preference um, orientation. Um, and, and then maybe if they were, were really sort of pressured on it, they might say, well, yeah, but it helps me save time. Um, and, and so it's personal yeah. preference uh, and time savings oftentimes um, for, for the initial adoption. But as you start to speak to this, you know, executive persona, personal preference and, uh, and merely time savings usually isn't good enough. So what do you have to actually communicate instead? Yeah. Yeah. You, you nailed it. Like I was going to say, I think they oftentimes don't, you know, understand that, right. They just think it, you know, again, the, the, the common words they use or it makes my life easier. Or it, it you know, helps me do my job more effectively, or it makes me stand out for my peers. Right. But I think it really does, you know, come down to, you know, e- even bigger, you know, get, I think you, you, you nailed it. I think one of the keys is they can be really helpful in helping you drive that, that story, getting them to quantify hours saved, you know, time and efficiency will, will ultimately build into that ROI. And so I think if you can get it from the users, like that's, that's massive. I think that that'll be really helpful. And, and we, we did that a couple of ways, actually, like by surveying some of the users after some of the, you know, proof of concept. And we, we tried to drive them towards some of the things that would be great inputs for an ROI calculator. But I think it is, you know, at the end of the day, it, it does come down to, you know, uh, you know, dollars and cents and, 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 and taking that time and calculating it into how you make the team more efficient, how you help them maybe hire more effectively uh, because they don't have to hire as many, you know, people in one, one category over another. Right. And so that they can they can save on costs and those things. Those are those are the things that, you know, ultimately uh, need to come you know, from that so that you can make that you, know, tra- tra- you can traverse that new chasm and make it to that new buyer. Uh, and speak in a language that's going to make a lot of sense, especially with a lot of these tools too. Like I hear this often too, a lot of these great PLG companies, 
uh, you know, are creating categories, they're creating, uh, you know, solutions to, to, to problems that, that didn't exist before. And so in a lot of ways, that's even trickier because it's not like, hey, I want to replace X with Y and you can take your cost of X and replace it with Y. And, you know, uh, sure, we're a little bit more expensive, but it's you know, we're worth it. Like you're actually asking them for a uh, budget they may not have identified already, you know, to, to think about, uh, you know, where they where they could get, you know, pull, you know, some some you know dollars and, and, and budget to be able to, to afford a tool for maybe a problem that they didn't even know existed. So I think that gets even more tricky. You have to be good at telling the story of like how the world, you know, with this product in place is going to be a better one for them. It's going to save them money. It's going to make them more effective. Again, you know, speaking in the languages of things that matter to them. But it's also just the overall positioning, storytelling, and messaging as well. And so what's important there, uh, this probably brings in both sales messaging as well as product marketing and that kind of thing. But how do you need to speak differently in order to not be perceived as, you know, just a tactical tool, but actually a business solution? Yeah, I think it just comes back to to more of that broader context story, right? You know, it's not just helping one person you know, be better at their job. It's helping teams and, and departments and units and and helping different departments and teams and units function better together, right? That's where the platform story comes in. I, I think, you know, just in a simple, basic way, too, like I, I always want, you know, our products to be kind of mission critical. And, and you know, that's that's also how I kind of anchor to that. And that if we can if we can build the right products and if we can position them correctly and if we can implement them correctly, hopefully we become mission critical. Uh, and that, you know, if you rip it out, you know, there would be major pain and upheaval and, you know, bad things would happen. Uh, you know, I think like, and, and, and there's lots of products that you can draw on that, you know, you, you can probably think of in your, you know, day to day that, that, you know, kind of have really made that jump, like Slack being one of them. I you know talked to someone recently who was like, we had to change from Slack to, you know, to, you know, Microsoft. And, you know, when we switched over, uh, it impacted the culture of the company, like dramatically, like we could tell that it, it had this, this massive you know, change. And you, you know, you think something as simple as a tool, uh, you know, could be easily replaced or some people want to think that they could be easily replaced. But I think that's a, a good example of how they became, you know, part of the fabric of how the teams work together and became mission critical and became that platform, uh, you know, which is really important. And I think it's, it's, it's on, you know, multiple people's, you know, minds on how you get there, right. It's on, you know, the product teams to, to build a product that is that sticky uh, and that is that you know virally adopted, and then also uh, that painful to remove out of their hands if if, if that that would ever happen there. You know, it's you know, important for the sales teams and you know customer success teams to to, to you know, put it in the right hands, get it into the right teams, make sure it's implemented correctly, make sure that you're ongoing you know uh, teaching training that they're maximizing, getting the value out of it. You know, obviously product marketing and marketing play a big big part in this with getting the message straight and making sure that it's understood in that context. But I think that's a, that's a big, big jump. But I think that also is like one that, you know, will mean the difference between again, tens and, you know, and, and hundreds of users to thousands of users on the platform when you make that jump. So we, we've talked about uh, the when, uh, which is the context in the company, what to be looking for. We talked about the why, why this is important to embrace and not avoid or think you're exempt from. We just talked about the what, the strategy and, and what capabilities you need to develop. So, Let's get to the how. Uh, what does this actually look like in practice, day to day, for for somebody who's trying to execute this strategy? So we can we can pull this to a you know a, one of your personal examples, Canva. Canva has yeah. millions of users, and so if I'm an AE at Canva trying to do this top down stuff, where do I even begin? <laughs> do I just call yeah. user number one and then sort of call down the list, or is, is there a way that I actually you know action this in in real life that's a little bit more strategic? Yeah. Yeah. And before I jump into that, actually, I mean, I think that, you know, my, my answer, one of the things that I think is going to be really 
important and is going to be a part of my answer is look the, the data component. And I do think like every company I've worked at, you know, data, you know, gets unruly, it gets, you know, unstructured, it gets hard to access or understand, or we didn't capture the right data in the early days, but now we do today. And so I think like, if I could, you know, get through to, you know, one, one team today, I would say like the importance of data and getting it right in the beginning is awesome. And I think it's like so important. And, and I, you know, I have talked to so many, you know, uh, you know, companies that are going through this growth journey and, and they, they put their eye on this early and I'm like, okay, that's amazing. Cause I think, you know, we, we, I think in some ways did it well, but in, you know, we, we just like everybody else grew really fast. Uh, and, you know, as you mentioned, had, you know, tens of millions of users on the platform when we decided to add this top down motion in. Um, and so it really was this complete needle in a haystack, uh, you know, moment here it was, it was a massive, you know, massive haystack. And I think as an AE, like in the beginnings, you know, we did the, you know, the, the, the rough kind of, I would say kind of caveman methods to get things up and going. Um, you know, if you were an AE on my team, what you found was you would look for, you know, patterns of adoption that you could quickly access and, and, and get to it. So, you know, who with this corporate domain is using, uh, you know, the product here. Uh, you know, who's signing up, you know, the most recently, is it a team of 10, 20, are they starting to grow? Um, that's a key indicator that we've got, you know, obviously some adoption swell growing in this organization. So it's time to reach out to that, you know, kind of executive uh, to see if we can can get them to, to foster a larger deployment there. You know, over time, we started to learn that there were, you know, obviously a lot of, <laughs> a lot of shortcomings to that method. And, uh, you know, that's where we really started to, you know, in, invest in kind of our data stack, you know, our, you know, BI that sat on top of this, you know, even a lot of the triggers of like, you know, when this happens, you know, who engages, you know, with what kind of story and message. And I think that's, that's the fun part when you get into there, because we really started to learn that, you know, 40 users at a company doesn't always necessarily mean that you've got a team adopting. You could have 40 users who signed up independent of each other, didn't even know each other. Uh, and they may all be using this for something that they're doing on the side. Right. And so like, you know, we, we, we quickly found some gaps like that. And so we were looking for, you know, are these teams, you know, that are working together, are they showing patterns of behavior, like creating designs and sharing them? Are they inviting more people to be a part of their team? Okay. This is, this is showing that this is more, uh, you know, kind of B2B usage here. This is more team focused usage. Like let's strike now and like, let's get somebody in front of them uh, to talk through that. I think the other thing too is like even you know using the email domain you know we we really invested a lot in enrichment understanding that because um you know over the pandemic we found that you know email became you know i think even more muddy uh i think there's a lot of you know people because we were working from home and you know uh you know work and life quickly you know converged over that time um people were probably a little less cognizant of using like my personal email versus my work email uh and so we saw a lot i think a spike and actually corporate emails for sign up. And so we, you know, we quickly learned that that doesn't always uh, necessarily mean corporate adoption. Uh, you know, on the inverse of this, we saw, we saw a lot of folks in the uh, the database and, and, you know, in our user set that we're drawing on that use Gmail accounts. And so how do you know that, you know, Blake at Gmail and John at Gmail, you know, are actually at some really massive company uh, and that they don't go under the radar, right? How do we identify those needles in the haystack quickly? And how do we make sure that you know, we're tracking on the right patterns of behavior to see that they're starting to do some things that are really interesting and compelling. And we probably want to, you know, insert somebody here, maybe customer success, you know, maybe it is our, you know, Canva coaches who do kind of the onboarding experience and make sure that they're getting the value out of it. Maybe it's an AE because we see, you know, this, you know, uh, you know, 40 person team, but we know that, you know, that company has over a hundred thousand employees. And so, you know, really 40 is, you know, is, is just a drop in the ocean and, and, and really represents, 
a much more massive opportunity if you put the right play, you know, players on the play, you know, on on the field and the right team in place. So at the highest level, uh, you're looking for signals um, to, to indicate where is adoption happening. And these signals uh, really come from product analytics. Uh, what's happening in the product? What's the usage uh, that, that, that we're seeing or, or the user growth that we're seeing um, you know, I- inside the product? And so wiring up product analytics and exposing that to a sales team is super important, which makes a lot of sense to me. Does, does this really ultimately get at PQLs or does is, or is this look like something else uh, in practice? Yeah, no, I think actually understanding that, you know, the, the difference there too. I mean, MQLs and PQLs building in, you know, that level of like scrutiny there. Understanding how each of them behave too, I think is like the other thing that we really got good at was, you know, building some discipline and rigor. I think in the early days, we treated, you know, everything as a lead, right? It was like, it came to us from inbound, you know, they're not on the platform, you know, this is a team on the platform. So understanding, you know, what each of them are, uh, you know, and then what team works with, you know, what I think is also key there, uh, which again, we didn't have in the beginning days. And so I think that that's you know, fairly common, like everybody, everybody works on everything. And I think, you know, getting more specific around the roles you introduce, uh, you know, the timing of when the roles get involved here and how they may, may team up, work together, you know, or not even you know, kind of touch a customer. I think that's the important thing. You know, I think, and also I think the, you know, the neat thing about this, we've talked, you know, a ton about, you know, the sequencing and when and, you know, the, the, the how and the why, um, you know, really, I think, you know, again, that it's, it's not a one size fits all you're, you know, you're putting in place here, like really think about like, how do you put the right touch, you know, in the right place. So, you know, uh, you know, having, you know, one or two or three, you know, potential roles that you're kind of introducing in here. Um, and making sure that like not everybody gets like an overly, you know, kind of enterprise sales experience. Right. I think like, you know, we have, you know, t- you know, we, we, one, we don't put AEs, you know, on, uh, entry point kind of, you know, deployments here, those proof of concepts, you know, until they reach a certain size. Right. So using data to dictate, like, when does an AE get involved? And there's, you know, some, you know, some companies that we want to get on ASAP because they have so much potential, you know, and there's some that are so small that it's like, okay, they'll never really need that resourcing. And we, they probably don't want that. <laughs> so like, let's make sure that we kind of surround them with the right kind of model that supports their growth and their deployments. Um, and so I think just being very kind of smart and deliberate and scaling these things in the right increments with the right touches is really key here. So I want to zoom all the way out as we close out the conversation here. So we've been talking, uh, obviously, a lot about the sales strategy and the sales team and all of the the details of this um, in in real life. But it's important to remember that the majority of the company is not on the sales team. Uh, And this can be a really big cultural change for a PLG startup. You know, the the type of thinking that you'll you'll see um, is, you know, we've been successful without sales up to this point. So why do we need it now? Um, and so maybe give a, a little bit of a view uh, to that. How do you think about change management for the broader organization? How do you message the role of sales and how do you get the whole company working with sales as opposed to against sales or just viewing it as this sort of uh, sideshow? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I think it's a good one to think about. And I, I actually have heard a number of folks come on your podcast and talk about this. I mean, for context, when I joined Canva, I was one of the first sales hires in a thousand person company probably at the time. Uh, and so we really were a small, small, small sliver of the overall entity. Uh, and so I got, you know, lots of, you know, uh, you know, we, we actually had like, you know, regular kind of meetups and, you know, kind of virtual coffees, you know, that we would do. And, 
you know, I, I, the common question I got is like, what is sales? Like, I feel like you all like dress fancy and talk fast, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, it was a lot of dispelling the myth, uh, you just around that. And, and I, I think I, you know, really leaned into and enjoyed that part of this, you know, was, you know, helping, uh, the company understand that. And I would say like part of my role was, you know, being like a chief storyteller, you know, really, you know, one spending a lot of time, you know, outside of my, you know, kind of immediate sphere and, and spending time with products, you know, spending time with marketing, spending time with support, like really diving into the trenches and, and helping them, you know, kind of understand the value that we can drive together. Uh, and, and then I think also, you know, working to just get on a regular cadence of, you know, doing, we, you know, we had brown bags, you know, with my sales team where they would talk about, you know, product requirements to the product team, which I think was really great. They were thirsty and, and, and really wanted a lot of input for them. You know, what, 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 you know, what the product was uh, doing well for customers and what it wasn't. And so I think that was a great you know, opportunity. We had a regular cadence of, you know, almost every month, you know, standing up in front of the company and in, in, in company meetings, Mel, Mel and Cliff were great about giving us time to showcase this, but talking about, uh, you know, the deals that we won and, and, and really telling the story of like how they started as a, initial team, you, you know, using the platform and they grew from that 40 to thousands, uh, you know, and I, you know, really, you know, love to hit home the, you know, kind of the key elements being that like, you know, it wasn't, you know, one over the other that made this win successful. It was the combined story. Um, and we have a, you know, a major focus on, on, on social responsibility. And so it was like even better to highlight those ones where it was like, okay, not only are we, you know, growing adoption of the platform faster than we could have done, you know, with just a pure PLG motion. Uh, we're helping, you know, some really uh, impactful teams do some really impactful work. And so that was, you know, really the fun part was like being able to highlight those stories over and over again. And, and that was, you know, for me, the moment, you know, when we would do those, you know, every, you know, every couple of weeks, you know, I'd hear afterwards, like, that was great. That helped me understand, like, what if we did this for that customer? When he told us that story, it really made me think about, you know, this feature that we wanted to roll out. So I think just being, you know, uh, very repetitive you know, at times, probably having to just kind of rinse, wash, repeat. But basically helping the company understand how this small kind of nimble team that's being built within the organization can have a massive impact and really can drive towards the common goals that we're all marching towards. So what I'm hearing is that uh, doing this transition where you add top down in order to effectively embrace the enterprise and you do it through adding a sales motion, this is a team sport. And I would say like the cool thing too on this is that the teams that I see that do it well really build that muscle around, you know, kind of collaboration and, and, and that team sport element. Like we, you know, kind of built a triumvirate, which was, you know, kind of sales and success, you know, product and marketing. And we met regularly and we talked about all the things that we were working together on, you know, and then it doesn't just start, you know, or it starts there, but it doesn't end there. I would say that, you know, also, you know, our AEs did, you know, kind of regular deal reviews and they brought in all those teams to be a part of it. And it was an open invite that people could be a part of. And there was a Slack channel that we communicated some of these things. But it was, you know, not a, you know, look at look at us and what we're doing. It was more of, you know, we needed more help probably, uh, you know, than, than uh, you know, we could talk about the successes. So we, we it was great to bring them into kind of the, the problem solving with us to be able to talk about, like, here's a big customer, big opportunity. If we could do this, you know, faster, if we could prioritize this faster, this is what it would mean to the company. And that was a really neat thing. We even, I you know, have a, had a, have a great CS leader. Uh, and I think, you know, we've talked a bit about CS, but it's like CS has had like the most massive resurgence. And I think it's such a you know critical element about this. It's, it's right there with data. I'd say, uh, you know, invest in your CS org and, and invest in your CS leaders there. But I, but I had a great CS leader who, you know, created what he called the heel desk, which is, you know, kind of the opposite of a deal desk. Uh, but it was, you know, customers that were in jeopardy of leaving us, like really big customers that had grown to a certain size and then hit stall points again. 
Um, and it was great to come in and just talk about it and, and get everybody else's help to, to solve these problems. I thought he did a really great job, you know, kind of leveraging, uh, you know, the other teams and bringing them in when the time was right to, to, to get their help, not just, you know, uh, you know, being out there on the, on the battlefield, dying on his own or having his team feeling like they're getting beat up. Um, you know, so I think it, it really, you know, is about, you know, bringing all those parts together, you know, embracing the team sport element, which isn't, you know, I think some, you know, some back to where we started here, I'd say, you know, some overly SaaS companies of the past, you know, it was, you know, everybody has their lanes, everybody has their kind of silos, everybody kind of stays within, uh, you know, these swim lanes. And I think that the, you know, the world is getting uh, a little bit muddier. And I think that's pretty cool. Like I, I hear a lot about, you know, product leaders being focused on, you know, having a, you know, I've heard the, heard the, you know, the conversations around like, should product leaders have quotas? And I think that's a pretty, pretty cool one. But I think like your product leaders should care deeply about this, right? They should have a vested interest in, you know, the success of the, the sales team. Your marketing leader should feel the same way. And I think that, you know, we really are kind of breaking down those traditional silos and swim lanes. And, you know, I think that's, uh, you know, that's the fun part about the companies that you see winning here. Yeah, I think from a from an org design standpoint, PLG is uh, part and parcel with cross-functional work. Uh, and cross-functional operations together, uh, really for all departments of an organization. Uh, and that's true at the early days. Uh, but what we're seeing here is that's very much true as you continue the journey and as you reach these new phases, including adding top-down and embracing the enterprise. So, John, this has been uh, absolutely a great conversation. Uh, back to where we started um, as, a, as a puzzle solver. Um, this is a puzzle that many PLG founders are trying to solve themselves right now, and you've put all the pieces in place. So thank you for the uh, the masterclass and the walkthrough of, uh, of adding top down to PLG. Awesome. I appreciate it. It's been great spending time with you. Thanks for checking out Build. If you enjoyed the conversation today, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so that others can find the show as well.